And I find that when we are very intentional about what we want out of life and what we want out of our business, it helps guide everything else and it helps us filter out all the distractions. And so when we're, when we're in our business, I like to tell people to be intentional about their goals, actually write them down and look at them several times a day. What is it that you are wanting out of this business? What is this business supposed to do for you and your family? What are the goals that you want to achieve? Welcome friends to The Entrepreneur Speaks. I'm your host, Kofi Anumedu. Each week, I host an amazing entrepreneur on their journey, successes, and challenges. It is my hope that we'll learn from their experiences as we all work towards living a life of passion and purpose. I'm super excited to host my guest today. I heard her speak at a Les Brown Organized Summit and I knew on the spot I had to get her here on my podcast. I'm pleased to host JJ Conway on the Entrepreneur Speaks podcast today. She is a financial planner who empowers individuals to dump debt and build lasting wealth through financial and business education and coaching. She served in the U.S. Air Force for over 21 years. She is my guest today on the Entrepreneur Speaks podcast. Welcome to my show, JJ. Thank you so much for inviting me. I looked at some of your other podcast episodes and I said, wow, this man is killing it. And he is inspiring so many entrepreneurs. Thank you. Thank you so much. So what does the JJ in your name stand for? The JJ in my name comes from my military call sign, which is Janie Jack. And normally military call signs are something that comes from where you messed up. And unfortunately, I'd rather not share the, t- the story on air. <laughs> maybe, <laughs> maybe after hours at a conference sometime. All right, then. That's fine. So tell us a bit more about yourself and how your childhood was like. I am a military brat, which means I've moved around quite a bit. Uh, I was born in Wilkes-Barre, PA, but most of my childhood was spent in Japan and Germany. And I personally think it was one of the best childhoods you could have because growing up in many different places and then graduating from uh, school in the United States, I think it gave me a very well-rounded worldview that you did not typically find in high school students of the 80s and 90s. Mm, Very interesting. So how was life in the Air Force? You spent over 21 years there. Please tell us about your experience. My experience in the Air Force had a lot of ups and downs, but for the most part, I'm very thankful for the opportunities that the Air Force gave me and also the opportunities of leadership that many people who serve in the disciplines that I serve in. So my primary career in the military being science and then my career as an entrepreneur being finance. Both of those careers do not lend themselves to learning how to be a leader. And so being in the military 
as a scientist, I still had to learn how to be a military leader. And so I had many, many opportunities in that role that, that, um, you look back on and you're like, wow, I got to do this and I got to do that. And so I'm very thankful for my time. Although there's always any career has its issues. Uh, I'm very thankful for my time in the military. Go into details about some of the experiences you picked up. Um, I read you studied physics at the U.S. Air Force Academy. What informed that choice? Well, the story, the story behind me forming that choice was probably not the most uh, happy story. Um, physics was never my strongest suit, but it was a lot of fun. You know, we got to levitate magnets and track asteroids and cool stuff like that. Uh, my actual best subjects were chemistry and math, but I thought they were kind of boring. And so I went to talk to the physics advisor and he told me I couldn't declare physics. He said that physics was something I wasn't going to be able to handle. And even though my grades met the qualification, he was convinced that I couldn't do it. And so I, I kept pressing and he finally explained to me, he thought I couldn't do it because I was black. He said, blacks can't do physics. You'll never succeed. And so that made up my mind for me. Even though I was better in other areas, uh, I made up my mind that I was going to prove him wrong. And I'm glad I did because it was a very fulfilling career. He actually told you you can't do it because you're black? Wow. Yeah. <laughs> very, very interesting. Um, you also hold a Master's of Science in Nuclear Energy. So with this background in pure science and your experiences in science. What informed your shift to finance? So when I first graduated from the Air Force Academy, which is a government-funded school, I had a lot of debt. Back then, more than now, uh, colleges were flooded with applications for students to get credit cards and all of this credit that we really shouldn't have been able to apply for. And like any young person, I had lots of fun with my credit cards. And uh, so when I graduated from the academy, um, I couldn't pay, I couldn't qualify for more um, credit to get my new first house and to set up my first apartment and get my pots and my pans and my towels and all those things. And so I turned to somebody named Larry Burkett, who was a, a very influential Christian financial planner and radio show host back then. And he and his staff helped me get out of debt, but I couldn't afford to take his class. And so he said, well, you can pay me back simply by helping somebody else get out of debt once you've used my materials. And so a year and a little more than a year later, I was out of debt and I used his material to help somebody else. And then I realized I had a talent. Now, I did not monetize this talent for a very, very long time. And we can talk about that a little later. Uh, but at that time, it was mostly in a volunteer capacity until about halfway through my military career, I came home to find my household and my stuff thrown away and divorce papers. So when you go away on military travel, you're, you sign 
ownership and, and power of attorney to your spouse so they can make all kinds of business de- decisions in your name. And I came home from a trip and he had sold everything and thrown out stuff and got him a new apartment and kind of found somebody else he was interested in. And um, I had to start over and I had to start over with 840 something thousand dollars of debt by time all of that divorce dust settled. And I didn't know what to do um, that was legal to make money, but I did know a lot of people needed help getting out of debt. And so I used real estate investing. I used some side hustles, you know, like uh, network marketing parties and things like that. And then I also started teaching people how to get out of debt. And as time progressed, I was making more money teaching people about real estate investing and how to get out of debt than I was with the side hustle um, network marketing businesses. So then I shifted my focus to that. And it's helped me uh, 11 years later to get out of eight, over $800,000 of debt and begin to build wealth for my family. So now I am a full-time entrepreneur by day and a full-time mom when my kids get home. <laughs> <laughs> Very interesting and inspirational. We'll delve into the details shortly. Um, so now let's talk about your business and the services you offer. Yes, I have a multi-pronged business that primarily revolves around financial education. So with JJ, uh, with a Conway Financial Group LLC, we have a variety of streams. We have our online business stream, which is Building Wealth Together, where you can go online and take classes. And some of them have a live component and some of them are self-guided. Those, uh, all those are online classes. Then we also have my public speaking, my books that I've written one-on-one financial coaching. And then we also have another division called Empowered Technical Leaders, where we help people improve their existing businesses and make more money by teaching them leadership and communication skills. So I feel that we offer a very well-rounded approach. So if you need to make, we teach people to manage their money. If you need to make more money, we show you how to either start your own business and find a business that works for your personality, or if you already have a business, or if you have a career that you love, we show you how to improve your leadership and communication skills so you can be more profitable at that business. It's very, very fulfilling helping people get out of debt, build wealth, and leave a legacy for their next generations. So how has your entrepreneurial journey been so far? Please share some of the experiences and notable moments with us. The entrepreneurial journey for me has been has been very interesting. I'm very thankful for the ability and the energy and the drive to do what I do. Um, there are there are times when life throws you a curveball that you weren't expecting. Uh, I wasn't expecting to have a surprise baby in my 40s. So just as my business was starting to take off the first time, I had to kind of put pause on things because I needed to give the baby some attention. And that that caused a little bit of a delay. But of course, life... Life, life may offer you a delay, but it is so much more fulfilling in other areas. And so my business journey has kind of gone up and down and up and down. And, and, uh, but it's been a wonderful journey. I understand that not everybody is an entrepreneur. My husband is a teacher. He teaches band to high school and middle school students. And when I get teachers like him come to me for financial planning, when they have a gift for teaching, 
I don't try to turn them into entrepreneurs. I show them how to do better in the, in the sphere that they're in and how to add some multiple streams of income around teaching without it taking over their life as a business. As you and I both know, entrepreneurship takes over your entire life. And so, um, but for the most part, for most people, I think being an entrepreneur gives you freedom. It gives you an elevated level of being able to control what happens in your life. You now have a revenue stream that you control, not somebody else. And it may not be millions a month, but even if it's just a few hundred a month, that's your domain and you control it. And you know that you can be the master of your future. And I think that's very empowering. That's very true. And with your wealth of experience, I'll be asking for guidance and tips as we go on with this conversation. So what has been some of the low moments on this entrepreneurial journey? I'd have to say one of the lowest moments on my entrepreneurial journey. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you two real quick. Uh, one of the first, first lowest moments was when I first got into business and I didn't understand why I wasn't converting. I had I had gone to get some training from a company that did financial planning as a business. And so I learned how to market and how to coach, but my leads were falling flat. So I hired a business coach and he said, take your picture off of your website. And what he didn't explain in that moment, but was explained to me later, was that taking my picture off of my website increased my return of investment on my lead generation by about 400%. And what I discovered later is because in at least the United States of America, people are not looking for their financial planning advice from a black woman, especially one who looks a lot younger than she actually is. <laughs> and so that was a really low point for me because I knew ultimately I wanted to speak. I wanted to be on radio. I wanted to be a public speaker. And I, and I was afraid that I was never going to be able to build my business in that capacity if I have to take my own picture off of my website to succeed. Now there's a lot of there's a lot of entrepreneurs of color in the United States who've done exactly that. They have made millions and billions by developing companies that you would never know were owned by minorities. And so that was, I, that was just a rude awakening for me. But I got to tell you, the most meaningful thing as an entrepreneur happened when I got a speaking engagement and I was so excited to tell my family about it. And all three of them rolled their eyes and huffed and puffed, and they were just tired of mom and her business. And when I talked to my oldest, my teenager about it, all he really wanted was for mom to just spend some time with him. And when I talked with my husband about it, he said, well, I love taking all these trips that your business takes us on because when I do my speaking engagements, I set my fees high enough to take my family with me. And uh, they, he loved that. He's like, but you never sit on the couch and watch TV with me. And I want to watch the game with you. And you're, you're supposed to be my best friend. And, and you're busy talking to somebody else on your podcast. <laughs> now, now, that's really hard words for somebody to hear who thinks that they're doing a really good job of balancing all the things that we say are important. But I have found uh, that there are times as an entrepreneur that I say God's first, family's next, but my checkbook and my calendar would say that me, myself, and my business are first. And so I really had to adjust how I did things as an entrepreneur 
And in the long run, it actually made my business more profitable because when I'm working on my business, I'm all in on my business and my family has my back. And then when it's time to hang on with the family, I hang with the family. But I, but that was a real low point. Like I'm so excited and my family's just like, we're done. Right. So just as you've had low moments, I believe there's been a lot of high moments. Can you share some of these high moments with us? Absolutely. Absolutely. One of my, one of my earliest high moments was when I had a, a lady come to me. She was maybe about four or $5 million of net worth. And she was actually my second paid client. And she, she had, she had all this net worth, but she was afraid to buy a nice house for her and her husband for them to retire in. And she was worried about releasing those, those funds and being able to walk her through the financial analysis and give her the freedom to spend the 500,000 on this dream home. That was very liberating. And my, and another high moment happens with great regularity where someone in their sixties will come to me and they'll think it's too late for them to build wealth. And I show them how to get their money managed and then how to start investing and then they're able to buy their first home in three or four or five years and they they get debt free and they buy their home and they're able to achieve later in life something they never thought they could achieve the whole rest of their life it's so much fun i love it so just as you've had low moments high moments i believe you've picked up a lot of lessons can you share some of these lessons you've picked up with us for being an entrepreneur or for financial planning, which would you like me to start with? So, so start with entrepreneurial journey and then end with financial planning. Sure, sure. And and the first, my first recommendation for both areas is to really be intentional about who you are and what you want out of life. Is like I said, one of my lowest moments was having this great victory in my business and my family not appreciating the value because in their, in their perspective, I had been ignoring them for so long. And I find that when we are very intentional about what we want out of life and what we want out of our business, it helps guide everything else and it helps us filter out all the distractions. And so when we're, when we're in our business, I like to tell people to be intentional about their goals. Actually write them down and look at them several times a day. What is it that you are wanting out of this business? What is this business supposed to do for you and your family? What are the goals that you want to achieve? And, you know, some of us, our goals are like out there pie in the sky and we don't even think about like one day I want to be uh, very wealthy and one day I want to have nice stuff and and if, and I just want to make more money. Make more money is a big one. You know, people say, oh, I want to make more money. And I'm like, okay, well, here's a dollar. Now you've made more money. Do you feel like you met your goal? Well, of course not. Okay, let's be more specific about the goal. And so that is the very first thing that I would recommend. And when it comes to business, the next thing that I would recommend is to really avoid taking on business debt. Now, my advice in this definitely is geared more to a United States audience. And I know that we are global on this podcast, so I'm not so sure how this advice translates in other uh, countries. But one of the biggest problems that they have in the United States with small businesses is most of them are out of business in five years. And a big contributing factor to that is too many entrepreneurs take on a business idea without really 
uh, having fleshed out how they're going to make their money. And then they go take on these business loans or they go borrow from all their friends and family. And now their business idea wasn't fleshed out enough to generate revenue and the business falls flat. And so I actually recommend get intentional about what you want to do and then test out your business model and make sure you've got something that really resonates. I teach this class. I teach several classes. Um, one of them is called, Why Does Your Business Feel Like a J-O-B? And I talk about the 17 different businesses that I had before I found one that I really, really enjoy and make lots of money at with very little work. And I talked about, I talk about how there's things that I thought I was going to do to change the world. And I was going to make lots of money changing the world. And I discovered there was no money in that. And so whether it was youth work or the military single moms nonprofit that I started, like there's all these different things that I just knew was a need that the world had. But when we start a business, we got to look for the intersection of what does the world need? What is it willing to pay us for? So what can it not get for free off of YouTube, right? Or what can we give and package in a way that's novel and unique, even if there's a lot of it on YouTube? How can we package it in a way people are willing to pay us for, right? What does the world need? What is it willing to pay us for? What can we be good at and be consistent at? And then when all of that intersects, now we've got something that we can build a business on. And so I think that's what I would recommend to anybody who's thinking about entrepreneurship Make sure all those things are in line. Or if you have a business that is stagnating, make sure you got all those things in line. Very useful lessons. So, JJ, tell me, if you were to start this all over again, what would you do differently? I wouldn't be so afraid to move forward. I I think when you come out of so much debt, and and $800,000 of debt is a lot of debt. And I made good money in the Air Force, but you know I was a fairly high rank and I made good money in the Air Force, but that's still a lot of debt. And I think when you have something like that happen to you that's so devastating, it makes you shift into to fear mode and protection mode. And you switch your focus towards protecting myself and not letting more bad things happen. There's a great book out there called Focus. I didn't I didn't read it because I wanted, I thought about this topic. I I, th- I read it thinking it was something else, right? But this book called Focus, what it talks about is what is your motivation? And for some of us, our motivation in life is to go out and have more fun. But for a lot of us that have, as we get older, our motivation either was as always or it becomes how we want to prevent pain. And And I had shifted in my focus from having fun and enjoying life to preventing more pain. And so, and so for me, I was afraid of a lot of things. I wouldn't go out. I still wouldn't go out and take a lot of debt or do a lot of reckless things, but I would be more fearless and actually charge. You know, the guy who helped me get out of debt asked me way back, way back in the nineties, asked me to be one of his financial coaches. And I was afraid. I was like, oh, nobody will listen to me. I'm just a young adult, just starting out. You know, I, I don't know a whole, no- I don't know enough. Well, I knew enough. I was just afraid. And so if anybody, if anybody was starting out 
or if I could go back and do it again, I'm sorry. If I could go back and do it again, that's one thing I would do is I would, I would not be so afraid. I'd surround myself with people who knew what they were doing and I would push forward. We, the whole world is confronted with this global pandemic, the COVID-19. And just as it's impacting us as individuals, it's also impacting businesses. How has COVID impacted your business? How has it changed your operations? Please share your COVID experience with us. My COVID experience began uh, March 6th, I believe it was, when I was about to fly out to New York to participate in a Global Women's Day at the United Nations. I was so excited for this speaking opportunity. And as I was about to board the flight, I got the notice from the staff that planned this event at the United Nations that it was being canceled due to COVID or it was being it was being held but no outside attendees. And so I stood there at security. I was just about to go into security on my on my airplane. I stood there outside of security and I thought, well, I could still go to New York and and the trip is already paid for. I could still go to New York and sightsee. But or I could go take some time with my kids. And I made the decision to take some time with my kids. And I'm so glad I did because at that moment, I didn't realize how big of a deal COVID-19 was going to be. And by time I got from the airport to where my boys were in Texas, um, because my family was separated because of the military at the time, I was stationed in one state and they were another state. By the time I got to my boys, because I'd already taken the time off, I realized how globally this thing was and how impactful it was. And I didn't take another live speaking engagement for almost a year, right? So I just started speaking in person again. And when you're starting your model, you get so excited about your business and then boom, this happens. But unlike many people whose businesses crumbled, I I almost feel bad about saying this, but for me and a lot of the people that are on my Building Wealth Together group, we made enough shifts in our business and how we did business that all of us actually grew our businesses this past year. And so for months, I had no income. I had no business income because everybody was freaking out about coronavirus and nobody knew when they were going to, you know, you go into the stores and there was nothing to buy. You couldn't get any food or anything for a while. And, and, and I've lived all over the world, right? Like I've, I've lived in places where you have dirt floors and thatch roofs still. Right. And so, you know, I, I understand the rest of the world is, it has, has had times of scarcity, but in this area, I was living in the United States. Nobody had ever experienced anything remotely close to hunger and it was different. And so I had to, I had to make a shift. And so what I decided to do, I said, okay, I'm going to help people. I'm going to help as many people as I can. And in doing so, doing the free COVID financial planning series and all of that, it increased my customer base so much that back in September, when I started charging again, I was able to become a full-time entrepreneur. I, I was able to retire from the military and become a full-time entrepreneur and never have to look back. Um, so you've been in business for some time. What would be your advice to someone with a desire to start a business? If somebody desired to start a business, I would highly recommend you sit down with somebody like me or another professional who can help coach you through making sure that you are choosing a business that works for your personality. So people are often surprised that one of the first things I do with a, with a new coaching client is I give them a 
business, uh, a personality assessment that really delves into what kinds of businesses will um, work for your personality. So once once we know what your intention is with the business, like what it is you want to accomplish with the business, then we know what kinds of businesses and things generally people with your personality strengths will succeed in then we can kind of craft a business what i see a lot of people do is they go to a party they say oh this person's making all this money i'm going to sign up for their business opportunity and i'm going to make all this money but maybe you're signing up for something that isn't in line with your personality or maybe you have expertise at your job and you want to build another income stream but you don't necessarily know what will work for you. There's so many income streams like podcasting and consulting and online training and writing, ghost writing. There's so many ways to make money that don't require you to go into debt and that you can tailor to almost any personality. And so that's really what we do is, is we start looking at what works for you, not necessarily what works for everybody else, but what works for you. If you've got medical issues, you don't, Maybe you don't want to sign up for a business where you have to consistently show up every day. Maybe you want to create your own business that allows you to do something really wonderful and profitable during moments that you have health and strength. And so the other thing that I would recommend is testing the concept. And I think I spoke to that a little bit earlier where we talked about making sure that the market wants what you have to offer and that they're willing to pay for it. You know, a lot of entrepreneurs We'll test the market and, and you'll even see that I do this when I make a, a class launch. I will go teach a class launch. I will come up with the framework, the advertising, and I won't spend months and months and months and months. I'll spend maybe an hour or two flushing it out and then I'll launch it and I'll see, does it resonate with the public? And I'll know it resonates because people will share the video, they'll comment or like, and they will buy into the pre-launch of the course. If I try to, if I try to launch a course and nobody buys into the pre-launch, then I'm not going to still spend another three weeks to a month building that class out. I have tested the market and I've seen that the market is either neither ready for it or prepared to pay for it. And so those are some tips for anybody, I think, starting a business. Thank you so much. So how about advice for somebody who is already in business, somebody year two, year three, year four, year five of business? What useful advice and tips can you offer such a business? I think my advice to somebody who's existing in business is going to depend on where they're where they're at and their level of satisfaction in their business. So if you've been in business for five years and it really feels like another job, then one of the things I would recommend is sitting down with a business coach who can help you evaluate what is going on in the business. And it always starts with being intentional. What do you want out of the business? See, a lot of times we define our success in monetary goals, but there's actually something we else that we want behind the monetary goals. So I might say, I want to make $10,000 a month with this business. Why do I want to make $10,000 a month? Well, I want to make $10,000 a month so I can take my kids on trips or I want to make $10,000 a month because I need to buy a new car this year, or I want to make $50,000 a month because I want to buy a new house next year, right? So we always want to get into what is it that we really, really want. And I find that in the throes of actually running the business, sometimes we lose sight of that. And then another thing that happens is that we, we get into this business and then we realize, wow, this is not fun. 
<laughs> and so if so, so if somebody's in that position, that's where I would have them go. Now, if they've been in business for five years and business is going well and they want to take things to the next level, then that's a different situation. I would still want them to start with getting intentional and, and what, what they want. And then it's about, okay, who do I need to bring into my life that can help me take things to the next level? I'm a huge fan of, of coaching and bringing people into your team, even if it's temporarily, to help you have new insight, to help you uncover hidden beliefs and help you uncover any kind of self-sabotage that you might be doing. Let me give you, I know, I know we're getting close on time, but let me give you a quick example of this. One day I was at a conference and I had been interacting with this man for let's call him Chuck. I've been interacting with Chuck all week. We had a great time volunteering at the conference together, both of us sharing the stage at some point. Wonderful, wonderful man. And at the last day of the conference, somebody else gets up and talks about Chuck and says that he's worth $500 million. And the first thought that came to my mind was, but he's such a great guy. As if in my heart, I didn't realize, I believed this, but in my heart, I felt like you couldn't possibly be that rich and be a great guy. And as soon as that thought popped into my head, the spirit revealed to me, you're never going to be that wealthy if you feel all wealthy people are evil and greedy. And so that was a moment of self-clarity. But there are times where I've had other business coaches speak to me. And so sometimes we don't even realize the blocks that we bring ourselves as a business leader. So those are those are two areas if somebody's in business, if you want to take your business to the next level, you know, a lot of times it's, it's, it's us, right? And if, but if you're in business for, it's been a couple of years and it's not profitable and it's not fun, that's when it's time to really get, draw back, look at your intention and decide where you want to go and what you want to do and what you can release to make more room for the things that are more fulfilling. Thank you so much. So my guest once again is JJ Conway and I'm really enjoying our conversation. Now, JJ, Let's talk about financial planning and wealth building. And my questions will be on several fronts. Um, the first one is, what useful tips, advice, guidance can you offer us all as individuals on financial planning? The number one advice that I give to people about financial planning, other than being intentional about what they need to do, what they want to do, is to spend less than you make and invest the rest. And people think that that sounds so simple, and it is, but money is actually a very simple science. The way money works is very, very simple. It's just not always very easy. If you spend less than you make and invest the difference in something that produces wealth long-term, you will see a benefit. And so that's the very first step is how do we create cash flow? between what you are spending and what you are making. How do we bring your expenses down and how do we increase your income? That's the first step. The next step is to really uncover what it is that keeps us from wanting to actually look at what we're doing with money. So a lot of people come to me saying they don't make enough money. Very few of my clients actually don't make enough money. I have had people who only make $400 a month who live a very abundant life. 
I have had people who make over $100,000 a month who are broke at the end of every month and they don't know where all their money went. And so it's important for us to put things into a plan where we are telling our money where to go, not having our money wonder what happened to it, but we're actually putting it down on paper before we make it. And we are telling our money, you behave over here and you behave over there. So the next thing that I would recommend is to make sure that we take care of ourselves before we take care of everybody else. It's like when you're flying on an airplane and they say, if something happens, put the oxygen mask on you first, then on your children or your traveling companions. And what keeps a lot of us from building wealth is we have such big hearts and we want to help the world. And I'm so bad about this because I just want to help everybody, right? And so many people helped me. So many people poured into me to help me get out of debt and help me get where I am today that I always just want to give, give, give. But I hadn't realized that's not actually helpful for folks because first you have to build your own and secure your own. So I actually teach people make sure you've secured your house and make sure you've secured your retirement and then focus on saving for your kid's college and doing all these other things. I mean, we want to be abundant and give all along our journey, but don't give your mortgage money. Don't, don't give everything that you have to everybody else and that you have nothing for yourself. You know, a lot of people cite religion when they do things like that. And that's actually inconsistent with most religious beliefs out there, even Christianity. And that's a whole nother podcast. (laughs) Um, So what would be your advice, guidance, tips for financial planning on a business or organizational level? I actually think that planning, financial planning for a business is very similar to financial planning for personal. You want to start off with your intention and understand what it is you want to accomplish. You want to be thinking strategically about what do I want to accomplish this year, five years from now, 10 years from now. Of course, the market is going to change. No one could have predicted COVID. But those of us who had some kind of idea of where we wanted our business to go long term, When COVID happened, we could say, okay, I know I want this five years from now. I want this level of growth, these many clients, my podcast here and there. What can I do now to assure that I get there, even if I can't have my business as normal and I have to close my mall shop down and I have to stop public speaking? What can I do that's going to still get me where I want to go five years from now? Well, I can teach free classes and I can get more subscribers to my newsletter and I can do all of these things to make people. Uh, more interested in what I have to say so that when the market can bear selling again, I have a larger audience. And I quadrupled my audience during COVID, which translated into an exponential increase in income once things began to lift a little bit. And so, so I, you know, being intentional is so important. And then also managing money. People don't realize this. Businesses have to have a, a savings. We call it a savings account in your personal finances, but we call it retained earnings when it's a business finance, right? So people have to have savings. Businesses, restaurants, lawn care, all of these different service industries that are that have had issues with COVID. Actually, lawn care is doing pretty good. All, all the hospitality. Businesses that had reserved 
funds. They had retained earnings. Now that everybody else is going out of business, guess who is buying up all their equipment for pennies on the dollar? Guess who's buying the properties up for pennies on the dollar? So you have two hotel brands. One hotel is going out of business. Another hotel is snapping them up because they had planned. They didn't know it was going to be a pandemic, but they knew that there's always something. The market goes up and down, up and down. And every 10 or 12 years, something cataclysmic happens. You got the tech burst bubble. You got the real estate bubble. You've got 9-11. You've got the challenger explosion. You've got things that affect the market with without knowing what they're going to be, with, but it's still great regularity. If you look back at the market every 10 to 12 to 15 years, something big hits and it drops certain industries. And if you can plan strategically, then the next time something drops like that, your business can be the one that swoops in and buys all the equipment for pennies on the dollar. And I'm not talking about taking advantage of people. I'm talking about creating win-win solutions. Because if my business can buy out another business that's going out of business, now that other business owner doesn't have to go file bankruptcy, right? So it's a win-win. But I want your audience to be on the acquiring side of that equation the next time we have a pandemic or the next time we have a tech bubble crash or the next time we have a real estate market crash. Very useful. Um, you also do a lot of coaching and assistance on wealth building. What would be some tips you can offer my listeners on wealth building? I think all of these tips really go in hand in hand. And so we want to be intentional about we want what we want. We want to be strategic about how we manage what we have. We want to invest in both ourselves and our businesses. And then another thing that I like to recommend is we want to be abundant. And by be abundant, I mean, we don't give away all of our wealth or all of our business earnings when we don't have a solid foundation yet, right? But we still can walk abundantly. We can still be a blessing to others. We can still seek to give more than we receive from the market, give more than we receive from other people. And I don't just mean monetarily. Some people say, well, how can I, how can I think large? How can I live large when I don't have any money in my bank account? Well, there's all kinds of things that we have that we can market or that we can be a blessing to others with. So maybe today you're listening and you want to start a business and you want to make a change for your family, but you don't have any money in the bank and you don't know how you're going to do it. Well, maybe you have something that's not physical money that you can offer. Maybe you have something in the intellectual plane. Maybe you know how to do a thing. Maybe you have something to offer in the spiritual plane. You can lead, guide, and comfort people. When you begin to elevate others and yourself in those areas, it always translates back into a physical growth. So let me give you an example. Let me give you an example. When this COVID started, I got stuck in line behind this lady who was buying a million gift cards. And she's like, I'm so sorry. And I'm like, you know what? I've jumped from line to line to line and I just keep getting stuck behind something that takes forever. So we're just, I'm just going to stay here with you. And I guess it's meant for me to meet you. And so I'm, I'm talking to her. She's a hotel manager who was laying off all of her hourly workers that she had just hired for summer. Cause remember this was like March and April of last year. She had just hired all of her seasonal workers in this area. 
and she was letting them all go right away. So she was buying them all gift cards from Walmart and they were like a hundred, two hundred dollars too. I was like impressed. And so I asked her how she was going to get through this. She said, oh, I've been through this before. We had this happen after 9-11 and me and my family were all in the hospitality industry. And what we had to do is we had to cut costs and then we all actually moved back in together just so we could weather the storm without going into more debt. And then as soon as things began to lift, they were on top. And so this is how this is how this hospital hospital, this is how this hotel manager had been able to grow her wealth and grow her hotel brand because she knew how to weather the storm. And I was like, and you could consult with other hotel managers who've never had to face anything like this before. And she had never looked at it that way. And I was like, seriously, you just walked me through what to do. I would, now that I'm a financial, you know, I'm a financial planner. Now that I get somebody else who is in the situation, I can tell them what to do. Right. Uh, that's why I asked. That's why I talked to everybody. Right. I always like to hear, hear their stories because I, I use it in my business. But but it was amazing to her because I was like, here's another stream of income. So maybe you didn't have money that you can give. But what can you help others with that'll turn around and become a currency flow for you? You're giving energy out and the energy comes back to you and then it begins to come back to you in the form of money and wealth. But we can be abundant at any time. We don't have to wait till we make millions. Thank you so much. We are just about wrapping up our conversation for the day. Um, earlier on your submission, you talked about your books. Can you please tell us about the books you've authored? I have authored several books as well as participated in other people's book projects. I find myself participating in other people's projects a little bit more now than I used to just to support their businesses, which is a lot of fun. Um, but the books that I've written are really about things that I found a need in my life. So my very first book was about fundraising for small churches. And I think it's out of print now. I probably need to redo it. But the reason I wrote that book was because I was a missions director of a very small church. And I found that everybody was giving me advice on how to raise funds for missions but those advices only worked for churches that had several hundred people. And our church only had about 25. And so I took my experience and put it into a book. The next book that I wrote was about how to manage your trustee work because I had moved to another small church and they needed help understanding how to run their trustee department. And I found out again, a lot of people in small churches didn't have that experience. And so the pattern with my books is most of them have arisen out of a need that either was in my life or in somebody else's life that I knew I could fill the gap. Now, my most recent book that was just published last week is Authentic Abundance. It is the study guide to the science of getting rich written by way back in the 1800s, Wallace D. Waddles. And what I've done is created a study guide and an online course that helps walk people through the science of getting rich. And so that just released on Amazon last week, Authentic Abundance, the Science of Getting Rich. I'm very, very excited. I love to write. I love to create and I love to help people. So there you go. All right. Um, and listeners, do go on Amazon and check out her books. Um, I said we're just about wrapping up. I have one, two more questions and we end today's show. Um, from your submission, I could tell you I'm one of it. Um, what 
um, principles, Christian principles, can Christians in business apply in their day-to-day operations? All right. Christians in business. Did I hear you right? Yes. Oh, we're going to open up this topic because I'm going to make a lot of pastors unhappy right now. <laughs> As <Bye. you> are... <laughs> well, here's the thing. I am, I am a pastor myself. So I, I, um, I find that sometimes my guidance for the flock that the Lord has given me is a little bit different than what other people want. But I, I feel that when you are a Christian in business, and, and I know this will apply to other religions as well, but especially Christianity, uh, anybody who calls themselves of faith is going to be judged according to what the public knows about their faith. And when it comes to Christianity, people have a lot of really wonky ideas about what the God of the Bible has prescribed for his people. And so I, I alluded to one of those ideas earlier uh, in that a lot of times we think that as a Christian, we shouldn't be very wealthy. And I would challenge that belief because if I wasn't intended to be very wealthy, I don't think the Lord would have written so many scriptures to me on how to manage wealth. And I don't think that the Lord would have put on my heart some of the things that he's put on my heart to change communities. The things that I feel called to do with my business and my personal life require significant investment of time and money into the communities which I serve. And so that's one of the first things that I would say to Christian business owners is really make sure that you have a biblical understanding of building wealth and what your business can be designed to accomplish. The other thing that I say, and this is where the pastors get mad at me. This is why a lot of pastors don't have me over to their church. The other thing that I would say is stop wasting your money on things that are just manipulation tools. And we see this a lot in Christian churches, especially in the communities that I serve that are maybe lower income because everybody's broke. And when you start to have a little something, the first thing that your pastor or your minister says is the church needs that money, or I need that money, or you need to fund this thing, or you need to fund that mission strip or this youth outing. And it's almost like you're being penalized for having. And what people don't realize is that is a biblical principle. You find the principle in Proverbs, you find it in the Old Testament and the New Testament. It is a biblical principle to save and not be miserly. The Lord wants us to be abundant. He came that we might have life and that more abundantly, but, 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 to, but to save a foundation. And when I first come into a new church and I teach this class, you know, um, if, you know, I I don't do it anymore without, I don't do it anymore without having made sure that the pastor has gone through it on their own uh, because it caused a lot of problems. I'm like, okay, stop giving so much, give your tithe, give what you need to give, but take everything else and build your foundation, build your six month savings account whether you're talking about your business or your personal life. And in business, it's even it's even worse. Now, I will say, I do think that a lot of Christian business owners, they overlook the opportunity to tithe. And I tithe for my business. Everything that my business makes, I tithe on. And, um, and, and, it's, and it's funny because uh, my, my, my husband sometimes chuckles at me 
Uh, he gives me that latitude. It's 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 I earn the money. He he covers he covers everything we need. So he's like, you do what you want with your business money. You know, I, I like that kind of a man. Um, but <laughs> uh, it's like I pay the tithes in the business, and then I pay the tithes on my income. <laughs> so it's like when you're, it's like you're double dipping, and I'm like, but you can't beat it. You can't beat God given, right? But if you come to me and ask for a donation above what I've tithed or what I've budgeted for, what the Lord's laid on my heart, I'm not going to be manipulated into that. And a lot of Christian business owners are manipulated into giving more out of their business or their personal life because people assume they're so wealthy because they have a business. People are manipulated into, this is a really bad one. Well, you're Christian, so you shouldn't charge me. Or we go to the same church, so you shouldn't charge me. Or you shouldn't charge me that much. Or you should give me the Holy Ghost discount. And I'm like, the Holy Ghost discount is you're going to come in here and pay regular price. And I'm going to give you an outstanding value. (laughs) You know? And so I see that a lot. I even had one person who was actually applying to rent at one of my properties. She's like, well, you're a, pa- you're a minister. So you should, you should let me live here free if I have a hardship. And I was like, that's called stealing. And I don't condone stealing. <laughs> so that, those are some pitfalls I think that Christian business owners can watch out for. Thank you so much. We are just about signing off. What will be your last words or advice for my listeners? My last advice for your listeners would be to be intentional about what you want out of life in the future and to manage your money. Don't let your money manage you. You tell your money where to go rather than wondering later where it went. Thank you so much for allowing me to be here with you today. I really appreciate it and enjoy the conversation. Thank you so much, JJ Conway, for sharing your rich experience with us today on the Entrepreneur Speaks podcast. And I'm sure you've spoken to a lot of my listeners. You've touched the hearts of my listeners. They have picked a lot of lessons from your wealth of experience. We wish you the very best. So this has been another exciting episode of the Entrepreneur Speaks podcast. I'll come your way next time with another exciting episode. I remain your host, Kofi Animedu. As always, let's continue to stay safe and keep hope alive. Cheers.